Thanks for downloading the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcast. The conference took place in University College Dublin on the 2nd and 3rd of September 2011 and saw over 50 speakers from Ireland and beyond come together to share their ideas in an interdisciplinary forum. In association with HistoryHub.ie, the majority of the papers are available for podcasting via the HistoryHub.ie website and on iTunes. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Dr Linda Doran, a lecturer in early medieval history in University College Dublin. Her paper is entitled... New Ross Corporation Books, The Picture of a Small Town in Stewart, Ireland. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so I'm going to do exactly what it says on the board. Um, I'd like to take the town of New Ross and um, look at it as kind of a typical small town at this period. And I'm going to concentrate primarily between 1680 and 1691, so at the kind of very end of our period. And I'm using the corporation books of New Ross, which have been examining for the Irish Historic Towns Atlas of New Ross, which hopefully will be coming out soon. Maybe I'll begin by telling you a little bit about the town. For those of you who don't know it, this is not a great photograph, I have to tell you. The town is much more picturesque than this and is in an absolutely gorgeous setting on the barrel. But I needed to have the river in, so that's the reason for the photograph. Um, the barrow is key, really, to the town. Uh, the town is situated on the lowest part of the barrow that you can build a bridge. Um, um, and the heyday of the town really was in the medieval period, and that's the medieval uh, parish church of St. Mary's, absolutely huge church. Um, the medieval town was founded by William Marshall. For those of you who don't know who William Marshall was, he was kind of the premier knight of his day. He had no money, but he was really good at sports. He was good at tournaments, he was good at jousting. He was kind of the David Beckham of his day. And um, he was spotted by Eleanor of Aquitaine and brought into court circles. And he obviously had really good diplomatic skills because he became an advisor to three English kings. Um, When he was 47, he married Isabel de Clare. She was 17 and she was the second richest woman in England. And by all accounts, they had an absolutely brilliant marriage. Um, she was the daughter of uh, Aoife MacMurray and Richard de Clare Strongbow. Um, they had nine children in all. These are two of their sons who are buried with their father in the Temple Church in London, for those who've seen the Da Vinci Code. Um, Aoife uh, was a very strong woman, and her daughter appears to have been similar, but... The connection with the MacMorris, of course, puts New Ross in kind of heartland MacMorris territory. Um, through his wife, uh, William inherited the Lordship of Leinster, lands in England, lands importantly in Wales, and lands in France. Um, and in order to exploit the produce of the Lordship of Leinster, he founded the town of New Ross. New Ross is on, as we've said, the Barrow River, which is navigable up as far as Athai, and it meant that he could take the produce out and didn't have to go through the Royal Port of Waterford with all that that implies in terms of tolls. Um, so New Ross, if you like, was a purpose-built foundation. It was founded around about 1200, so it's the first of these kind of glut of towns that you see founded in the 13th century in Europe and probably provided a model for a lot of them. Liverpool, for example, is founded at the same time. The town, by 1250, was the second port for wool in Ireland. It's incredible if you think about it. It was bigger than Cork, it was bigger than Limerick, it was bigger than Wexford, it was bigger than Waterford for for wool. Um, We can see in the beautiful carvings in Mary's how rich the town was. And the parish church in St Mary's is absolutely huge. You kind of think, my God, what was the size of the population? So it was a very, very wealthy town. 
Sadly, um, it goes into, after the Marshall Estate is split in 1247, um, all of the, the sons died without heirs, so it was split kind of multitudinous ways. The town staggers along under the Earls of Norfolk, into whose control it passes, but it really goes into a terminal decline, um, because, if you like, the purpose of the town had almost been dissipated. The first map that we have for the town is this one in 1649. And strategically, the town is very important on that Barrow River. And we'll look at a map in a moment where we can see how strategically important the town was. Um, this little map is drawn by the Confederate Army, who were based in Rossburkin, which is on the other side of the river. It's currently in County Kilkenny, uh, whereas New Ross is in County Wexford. Um, and they were, the town had been occupied by Cromwell, who was living in the Folly House, which we'll talk about later on. And um, they were planning on attacking the town. Um, so it's a really accurate little map. We've all the streets. We've St Mary's Church, where they obviously were going to position themselves. And after they rode over and ran up the hill, they were going to position themselves on Mary's Church. We've all of the, the gates upon the water and all the towers. And they even tell us that there's new work. And a lot of that fortification, I would guess, is Cromwellian. Um, two of the things I'd like to point out to you are those. That's the citadel which is at the north end, and the blockhouse, which is at the south end, if you think about the map turned that way. Um, they will, will, they'll feature in our, sort of in our life later on. And um, this area here, which is where they were going to come in, uh, which is really interesting, because usually New Ross is portrayed as a closed D. In all later maps, the town is uh, uh, seen as a closed D. But in fact, there was excavation work there by Colleen O'Driscoll in 2000, where he found that that area is actually open, that the wall wasn't closed at that point. The Franciscan Abbey appeared to have done reclamation at the back of the abbey, and that was kind of a slipway. So that map is incredibly accurate. The next map we have um, is this one from the Anglesey estate. The Anglesey's acquired New Ross under the Act of um, Explanation and Settlement in 1666, um, and this map then is reproduced ad nauseum. That version we have there is about 1699 to 1700. We know that because the barracks is on it. Um, but again, it's quite a detailed map, but it allows us to see the strategic importance of the town. Um, it's got a major early roadway going through the town, the Schleekulen, which comes in what is the market gate across uh, the bridge when there was a bridge there and out down into, towards Waterford. Um, there's another roadway coming in there, and of course uh, it's, the, it's the lowest part on the barrow that you can actually build a bridge, so strategically it's very important. It has this wonderful, wonderful sheltered harbour, which large ships can uh, sit at anchor, so it's very uh, important strategically. Uh, so this gave the town a kind of a certain vulnerability. This is a balance map um, from 1779, and I just want to point out to you Ross Birkin, because I've been talking to you about it, but I haven't shown it to you. That's Ross Birkin. And that's where we had our Confederates on one side and Cromwell on the other side. The bridge is destroyed during that uh, campaign and, in fact, isn't built for 150 years, which gives you an indication of how much into decline the town goes. Um, if we just look at a little bit more detail at that area, we can see that there, when the uh, surveyors first arrived, there was a ferry there, and they've crossed out the word ferry and put in the word new bridge. But the ferry, in that 150 years, and as we move at the period we're going to look at, was really important because it controlled access, water access to the town. And we see when we look at the corporation records, they're very concerned about 
maintaining control over access by water and maintaining control over access by the road. Um, this is the postal in Euros. Um, it's originally a medieval building, but that's a later building. It has this great um, plaque over the door which says that it was built uh, on the anniversary of the glorious Battle of the Boyne. Um, these are the corporation records, just to kind of let you know what they look like. Um, this is a cover, that's a list of mayors, and that's just a set of accounts there. And I know I picked out, I've kind of cherry-picked from them, I could have done sort of numerous other topics, but I've looked at maybe internal tensions within the town and the fact that the town needed to have troops, but that itself created an internal tension because they couldn't afford to be billeting them. So it's, I've just gone for those two aspects. This is the first entry, and I'd like maybe, if I could, just to read through this with you a little bit. Um, the Sovereign is writing to what is effectively their law agent. Um, he's based in Dublin, and uh, he's saying to him, uh, this is in February 1691, upon the return of the Irish inhabitants to this town, who had followed the rebellion to Limerick, I always think that sounds like they'd all gone off to a football match, <laughs> and upon crowding in, of a great many others who never dwelt here before, but have left their former habitations during ye war, and since ye conclusion thereof, we find the Protestant shopkeepers and tradesmen of all sorts to be in danger of being impoverished. They, this is the Catholics, like birds of a feather, flock together, and buying and selling among themselves only, besides which we conceive their numbers increasing so fast to be dangerous, if not fatal, on any invasion or insurrection. So they have this kind of uh, almost siege mentality of there's all these people crowding in, they're trading among themselves and on top of that there's going to be so many of them, we're never going to hold the town if there's a problem and then they ask the guy to basically suss out the situation and see legally what kind of remedy they have and how they can do this without offending the government and they say that they all petition to be admitted to use their trades upon quarterage and then they want to know whether they can basically tell them to take a hike or they have to do something about it um, the second part of the letter um, again highlights the fact that they'd like there to be some kind of support in the town, but on the other hand, how is this maintained? They say our Dutch dragoons, being all gone, were told that some foot are to be quartered here, are here to be quartered. Their officers were told expect private quarters, which we think which we have undergone too long already. So in other words, they're saying that really this is very expensive, and do they all need private quarters? And then they go on to ask, would he find out what the situation is in Dublin and could he get them a letter? So in other words, they're making sure that they have, can waive this letter if they decide to do anything about it. And to see whether private quarters are expected from us or not and whether they are to be sustained in their quarters by their landlord. So who's to pay for this? That's the bottom line here. Um, the first entry I'd like to look at, we're not going backwards, if you like. We're going to move back a couple of years to see how this sort of um, situation arose. Um, and uh, the first here we say that um, the colonel in charge of the dragoons who is a guy called Butler has complained that their quarters are insufficient uh, so they then set about rectifying this and in order um, to do that they suggested that the citadel if you remember those two um, uh, buildings I showed you the blockhouse and the citadel citadel in the northern is going to be put in good order for the officers particularly those that are on guard. Um, soldiers, of course, uh, come with horses, and the next thing uh, is directed is the bailiff is to go out and find out all about the public and private stables that are in the town. And people who don't have stables that they can give up have to go and hire them. So in other words, it's quite a burden. If you don't have a stable, you have to hire a stable. 
Um, this uh, is basically addressing how exactly the stables, now that they've identified where they are, that they have to be all put in good order. So again, this is borne by the town. They're going to have to put these stables in good order for the dragoons. At the same time, um, the town is writing, saying that um, they're far too impoverished to put the town wall into repair, which is in all parts decayed. So they're, they're supporting these troops, but on the other hand, they don't actually have the money to maintain the fabric of the town wall. Um, in 1689, um, uh, there's a, a danger here that the dragoons are going to be withdrawn. So we have, on one hand, we have them worried about maintaining the dragoons, and on the other hand, they're now terrified they're going to be withdrawn. So they're saying that um, they're going to be drawn off, and they're very worried because there's daily incursions of rapparees, um, and that the militia are not armed. And they're looking for either, you know, one lot of foot to be left with them, or that somebody would give them arms uh, for the militia. Um, down at the end of that, if you remember when we were looking at the ferryman, um, we get um, an instance here of how important the ferry is, because we're told that um, Edmund Sutton, ferryman being Irish, is going to be caused to employ an Englishman, and this Englishman is to be selected by the sovereign, and he's to report on suspect passengers. So in other words, um, Edward, Edmund Sutton is not trusted. Uh, he has to have somebody with him, basically, to make sure that everything is okay. If we have a look at what the militia consisted of, you get a kind of a flavour, I think, of um, how things worked within the town between the two groups, those in control of power and the majority. Uh, we're told that men between 60 and 16 and 60 who are fit are to take part in the militia. And then we hear all what they're to do. But we're also told that when an Irish man's name comes up on the list, because he's not allowed out of his house at night, and obviously therefore is absolutely no good in the militia because he can't go around, he gets a Protestant to walk in his stead. And towards the end, there's this lovely phrase uh, where it says, um, the English with their arms and the Irish with their money are going to protect the town. <laughs> so we know that at least there are some Irish people in the town with money. Um, they also um, have... Uh, uh, they're interested, as well as controlling the ferry, they're also interested, as I said to you, in controlling the road access to the town. And the Folly House is um, <coughs> where, um, um, where um, Cromwell lived when he was in the town. And we're told that um, the bailiff is directed to basically turf out the Irish people who are living in the Folly House because it's close to the market gate, and that's an access to the town. And in future, only Protestants are to live in this, in this house. And this is because there's danger from rapparees and Tories. And we just have a quick look at where exactly that folly house is. Um, there it is there. Um, that's the market gate. And that's that road, which is effectively the Schleekruhlen coming in across the town. So you know, you're, you're right into the heart of the town and down and across the bridge there. Um, there was also different kind of people who could be bailiffs, and they were very interested in making sure that if you got to be a bailiff, that it didn't relieve you from the uh, idea of quartering troops. So we see here that um, they had an act, obviously, saying that if you owned a public house, you couldn't be a bailiff, and they presumably want some guy who owns a public house to be a bailiff. So they've said that they're going to kind of this act is going to be superseded, but he still has to quarter the troops. They eventually solved the problem of the quartering of the troops uh, by building a barracks. Um, 
around in 1700 on the site of St. Michael's uh, Parish Church. Um, I think these records are important because there is so much detail in them. They meet every week and they discuss tiny, tiny, tiny nitty-gritty details. So they give us an absolute picture, I think, of the difference between people who had power but didn't really exercise a huge amount of control. So you can see a town that, in fact, is, is, is almost at the flow of different factors outside its control. Um, I'd like, if I could, to record my thanks here to um, New Ross uh, Town Council, who allowed me access to these records. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this HistoryHub.ie podcast. You can find many more podcasts by visiting the HistoryHub.ie website.